on card, uh, whether they're, they're really serious about providing practical assistance to Taiwan in the event of a, a, a military situation with China. Who knows? I mean, I wouldn't be very optimistic. Like, this could be as much domestic politics in Japan as it is a genuine offer of assistance to Taiwan. Okay. Ross, thanks very much. Have a good day. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Asian stock markets seem to be moving in rather differing directions at the moment. First of all, over in Australia, the ASX 200 is up about 0.8%, but the Nikkei 225 in Japan is down about a quarter of a percent. Looks like a flat open uh, for the Hang Seng. In the commodities markets, uh, Brent crude oil is slipping a little bit at $73.32 a barrel. Gold, that's at $1,804 an ounce. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. The uh, weather is the news and weather coming up and then back chat with Hugh Chiverton and Janice Wong. In fact, let me give you an update on the weather forecast right now. Mainly fine, apart from isolated showers. Very hot during the day. The maximum temperature will be around 33 degrees in the urban areas, a couple of degrees higher in the new territories. And it's going to be mainly fine and very hot in the next few days. The very hot weather warning is in force right now. It's 29 degrees, 84% relative humidity. It's 8.31 and a half. Here's Samantha Butler with the news. A group of British lawmakers is urging the government to take tougher action against China over its treatment of minorities in Xinjiang, including a partial Winter Olympics boycott and cotton trade ban. Vicky Wong reports. The UK government was urged to recognise the decision of British lawmakers in April to declare Beijing's policies against the Uyghurs and other minorities in Xinjiang as genocide and crimes against humanity and hold Beijing to account. Among its recommendations, the Cross-Party Foreign Affairs Committee said in a report that Britain should partially boycott the Winter Olympics hosted by Beijing in 2022 and should ban the import of cotton products from Xinjiang, where there are allegations of forced labour being used. It also backed a fast-track asylum process for those fleeing persecution in the region. China rejects the accusations of abuses and has denied the United Nations access to investigate the claims. The U.S. State Department says it's concerned about the reports that mainland tech giant Tencent seems to have terminated almost all university-based LGBT groups operating on its WeChat platform. Here's the BBC Celia Hatton. There was a perfunctory message attached to the now-deleted social forum saying that they had violated regulations. What we don't know is which regulations they'd violated and why all of these groups, really dozens of groups that had been established by university students across China, had suddenly been deleted. Some of them hadn't been used in years, and that's why some people think that this really was a mass campaign simply to wipe out the communications network of this entire community. President Biden says he'll be delivering a message to President Putin about a recent wave of cyber attacks targeting American and foreign businesses. He was speaking after hosting a meeting of top U.S. officials on how to combat the ransomware activities that are now a national security challenge. Gangs believed to be based in Russia have targeted American infrastructure and extorted millions from their victims. A government minister says the alleged assassins of Haiti's President Jovenel Moïse are in custody less than 24 hours after the leader of the impoverished Caribbean nation was killed in a gun attack at his home. The streets in the capital, Port-au-Prince, are reported to be quiet amid fears the killing could fuel reprisals. Interim Prime Minister Claude Joseph earlier declared a state of emergency on national television.
We have decided to declare a state of siege in all the country. We ask for people to stay calm. We call on the intelligence of Haitians in this difficult time. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong with Hugh Chiverton. Good morning, Hugh. Good morning, Janice. Today we're talking about rent control and a cruise to nowhere. To better protect families living in subdivided flats, the government will table legislation introducing rent control for this type of accommodation to LegCo next week. Well, next Wednesday, in fact. And if all goes well, officials say rent control for subdivided flats could be introduced as early as the end of this year. The proposals include introducing standard contracts and capping rent increases at 15% after a fixed two-year tenancy period. Landlords who don't comply could face a fine of at least $10,000. This comes as a new study by a concern group found that landlords are still overcharging tenants for electricity and water. And others are worried that landlords would immediately raise rent or evict tenants before the legislation takes effect. What do you think of the new law? How effective will the measures be? Can rent control be used more widely, not just in subdivided units? And what are the pros and cons of rent control for all flats in Hong Kong? From 9.15 to 9.30, we'll be discussing a cruise to nowhere. That seems like it's going nowhere. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 23388266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Professor Yip Nai Ming from the Department of Public Policy at City University. Esther Wu, a community organiser from the Society for Community Organisation. And Dr. Rita Lee from the Department of Economics and Finance at Hong Kong Xuyan University. Good morning to all of you. Good morning. Good morning and thanks for joining us this morning. Ms. Wu, maybe we can start with you. Okay. Um, can you first give us an update on the situation? I mean, how many people live in subdivided flats right now and has this number increased significantly over the past few years? Uh, there are about two, 200,000 200, of people living in subdivided units and the number is increasing because the supply of public housing actually is very slow. The waiting time now is for uh, general family is 5.8 years. So the underprivileged do not have any choice and have to choose living in subdivided units. So we observe the number is keeping increasing. And the poor living condition of uh, subdivided flats have been talked about for many years. Has the situation improved or worsened further? Uh, actually, the situation is similar as many years before. Uh, like we have done a research recently and we find the situation of them, uh, the rental, the rental is, the rental situation is the same because the rent is still very high. The medium of the rent is about 5,000, uh, which saying their income is only uh, about 10,000, which the, which the income to their rent is very high. 
So today the government is going to introduce rent control for subdivided flats. How far will it go to resolve the problems you just mentioned? Uh, we welcome the policy and welcome the tenancy control as we have fighting for it for over 10 years. Uh, we think the scope of regulation is quite comprehensive this time because not only domestic buildings are covered and also the subdivided unit in industrial buildings are also covered. We think the tenant may, that may be benefited by the four years of security tenants. But however, we think uh, the most important thing is the government has to set up set up the illegal rents, a standard rent of the subdivided unit, because we are afraid that the tenant, uh, landlord may increase the rent greatly before the law passed. Professor Yip, what do you think? I mean, do you think the presence of rent control and tenancy security protection proposed by the government will be enough to protect these uh, tenants from unscrupulous landlords? Well, I think it's a good step because uh, the so-called rental market in the subdivided unit is not that sort of healthy at this moment because of the imbalance of supply and demand. So that we working the uh, this uh, rent control on subdivided uh, unit, I think it's a it's a, a first step in improving the benefits of those who live in subdivided unit. But that's not the ultimate solution, of course. And uh, are you? I mean, we just heard about uh, Ms. Wu's concern about um, how landlords might just uh, increase the rent before this legislation uh, is implemented. Do you share her concern? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I think a few of the members in the task force on the study of tenancy control in subdivided unit also share such concern. But I think the, the government also acknowledged such concern and this may be a potential problem. But because on some kind of technical reason, the government refused to set this kind of starting rent. And uh, so under the plan, and, and also under the plan, there will be a, a fixed uh, two-year tenancy period. After that, um, landlords can increase rent by not more than 15%. In your view, is that figure too high? I mean, some lawmakers have suggested uh, 10% instead. Uh, yes, I would, I would also agree that the 15% is on the high side because the statistics given by the uh, rating evaluation department shows that, in fact, in the past about 20 years or so, um, the, those uh, years that uh, the increase of rent in the general so-called private rental sector is not as high as 15 percent. As far as I can recall, it's only three years that the, the, the increase of rent is more than 15%. In fact, two of them are very close to 15%. So you may say that that is on the safer side for the landlord. So is 10% uh, uh, is 10% better or should it even be lower? Um, I would say that 10% may be a compromise because it's a balance. So that is, it's, it, it, it doesn't favor either the landlord or the tenant. There is 15% apparently favor the landlord. 
Uh, Professor Yip, you know, in, in the past, um, the government has said that it's very hard to identify um, subdivided units, and there was a lot of discussion about what actually constitutes a subdivided unit. So has that been settled now? Are you, are you happy that uh, the definition is, is clear and is relevant and actually captures many of these things? Because there's also the question of, um, you know, uh, whether there are illegal structures, uh, whether the, these are in industrial buildings and the legality of, of, the, uh, of the structures. I mean, are, we, are you happy that this is going to actually address the people in need? I think it's better than before, because uh, I think the main point is not whether it's a subdivided unit. The main point is whether the living condition is appalling. So now it's closer to that definition, but now the definition excludes those who live in, in, in quarters, who live in uh, rooftop uh, 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 houses, and that is not that satisfactory, because their living condition can also be poor. Some, 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 some of them even poorer than uh, those who live in subdivided units. Yeah. So, could they extend it? Should the um, should the bill actually, you know, include those people, as you say, living in rooftops, living in in squatter or unauthorized structures? Uh, my personal opinion, it should. Uh, what about the status of the industrial buildings? I mean, you, it's, is it against the law to live in industrial buildings? And if so, how can you have a law or how can you have legislation like this, uh, which uh, you know mandates contracts and things like that? Uh, would, how could the contract stand up in court? I think it's a pragmatic compromise because that's not the first time government acknowledged those so-called illegal uh, happening. For instance, uh, we we in, back in the 1970s. We registered all the what, what we call the illegal squatters, and then many of them are still standing today. And also in some of the illegal sort of rooftop uh, sort of structure, the, the rating, the rating evaluation department, they assess the, the rateable value, and the tax department collect the, the rates from them. So I think it's, it's on the on, on the same basis they tolerate the existence of those illegal subdivided flats in industrial buildings. Does, does it effectively mean that uh, people will be allowed to live now f f in, in industrial buildings? Uh, I think it's a toleration. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a legalisation. So they are still in the risk of being evicted if the, the, the relevant government department decided to enforce the law. I mean, if, if, uh, if I was a landlord and I had an industrial building and I started renting it out to to uh, tenants, uh, would the police go after me or w would I be breaking any law now? Uh, that, I mean, that's a grey area. I think they, they are still breaking the law. So, in fact, my hunch was uh, those landlords, they may not come forward to register the, the rental contract. Uh, okay, so they, so they wouldn't do it, so that they wouldn't fall under this legislation? Yes, because now, because then they are, they are exposing mm. their so-called legal act. So they are risking being attracted as so-called law enforcers. D I mean, doesn't that apply to, to other people? I mean, not in industrial buildings. Why would the, wouldn't there be a tendency for the landlords just not to do this? The landlords just uh, ignore this legislation. Uh, yes, there's such a risk. But because the, the tenants can take action to register the, the, the contract. So that will balance off 
Yeah, and, and are they in a position to do that? Uh, or are they kind of very often, you know, this is their last uh, resort? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure about the, the current legislation because it hasn't appeared in, in full detail. Hmm. But in the discussion in the task force, I think the government reinforced us that they will put sort of this right uh, into the law so that the, the, if the landlord doesn't uh, register the uh, contract, the tenant can register the contract. Okay, also with this, Dr. Rita. Contract. Yeah, uh, Dr. Rita Lee is an associate director. Hi. Department. Good morning to you. Many, many thanks for joining us. What do you think of this? Uh, uh, what do you think of this uh, legislation uh, as it stands? Will it will it uh, tackle um, this problem? Well, um, I, I would just feel the issue from like um, uh, from uh, from an economist point mm -hmm. of view. So traditionally, economists always consider that the rent control is like a kind of evil idea among like most uh, economic textbooks due to like time is waste for waiting in the queue uh, in case of rent control in the public housing misallocation of resources uh, richer people can actually pay higher rent but they now pay a very limited rent and there was like once the research about like 88% uh, of economists vote against the rent control but but I personally think that the government has done a great job here in this proposal uh, and the task force says, I think they have done a lot of research for that, uh, uh, for that, uh, uh, for that issue. So the main thing of like, uh, rent control is resource misallocation. An accurate picture of the city in the market is a housing market is that uh, if the richer people that they pay higher rent and the poor people that they pay the lower ones, then they, that, that will be fine. But then uh, in the previous, uh, in the previous uh, scenario, like, uh, for example, in New York, uh, this is on the other hand uh, that they they have done something that is like uh, not very good in the sense that uh, um, uh, what they have found is that uh, the most uh, the most richest uh, the richest one household in New York uh, they have like for example twelve times more uh, than the poorest. But then uh, by the time that they pay the rent, if they if we talk about what uh, how much do they pay for the rent, they only pay uh, two and a half times much uh, as much as the rent. So you can see that actually that the um, misallocation problem uh, doesn't solve by the uh, uh, rent control itself. And then uh, what we have seen is that uh, some very rich people, uh, rich family, rich people, that they devote less uh, less than five percent of their income to rent, and many people pay more than seventy percent. So it means that there is a misallocation uh, in the resources by the time the rent control exists. Um, however, however, if the rent control for this time, because uh, the task force only focuses on the uh, on the low end housing that is subdivided unit, where the most of the renters they are they have low low or lowest uh, the lowest affordability to pay for the rent, so um, they are actually the group for which that we should target at, and that's why that I think that uh, the task force has done a great job here. I, I don't really follow. So, w what's the relevance? Why does it matter? Why does it make a difference? Uh, how, uh, what what proportion of your of your income you you, you spend on rent? If it, if the rent control is good for the poor, why isn't it good for everyone? Because the rent control in in this case is about like uh, trying to keep the low rent, make sure that they within like uh, two first two years that they have to like pay for rent and then they cannot like. Uh, increase the rent more than the uh, the threshold, and then uh, there is a uh, there there is another two years for uh, to renew, 
and then uh, it means that they have got four years of rent protection. So that within the four years, they will not face a very high increase in uh, rent as what it is now facing. And then uh, they are the group for which they are the group with the lowest uh, affordability to pay. So that uh, it means that uh, for those like high-end housing, they can continue to rise because actually this group of people, they may have got a very high affordability. So it is fine that if the housing price that it is um, uh, that it keeps on increasing, but then for the lower end housing uh, that they have low affordability, then the government have to protect them. So this is the main goal of rent control uh, in this perspective. As otherwise, if we try to put the uh, put the vessel to like all housing, then it will uh, it may have got a problem similar to New York where the uh, the, the high-end one, they actually can pay higher, but then uh, they, they pay a low rent. But then the low-end one, they uh, they pay a relatively higher rent because they just put uh, the platform on all the housing instead of the, the, uh, the cheapest housing or the low-end housing only. Because there are lots of middle-class people, of course, in, in, in Hong Kong who feel that they're, they're, they're forced into uh, paying rent and that they're at the, at the mercy of the landlords because of the because the property prices have gone up uh, so fast and this applies to young people, many young people as well, even those, you know, were earning a decent income. Academics uh, and so on, they're just completely priced out of the market. They have no choice but to but to uh, rent because uh, they're not eligible for public housing and um, they are at the mercy of the landlords and, and they're suffering uh, in the same way that uh, people at the bottom of the uh, of the heap of suffering, but at least they have the prospect of public housing. Um, I would say that well, we have to do it step by step because uh, we have to see like what happened to the lowest end first before we just put uh, or explain it to like uh, what you have mentioned about uh, those working class that they are middle class and then uh, the salary is not very high, but then they cannot afford a very high uh, afford the, uh, the the housing that they have to pay. Uh, I think that we have to do it step by step rather than doing it in a in a radical way. So we have to see like what happens to the subdivided unit first before we we do some other uh, some other research on like or like practically put the same thing into like other uh, other classes because uh, I think for whatever policy we have to do it like step by step instead of like putting uh, all the uh, uh, putting into all types of the housing because uh, as well as that. Uh, if you just put the same way to all the housing, then we have got a problem. That is, like probably those uh, who can pay a higher higher rent one, they cannot even find a house. The most important thing for which the rent control, why we cannot put it into the, all the houses, is that uh, previous uh, previously there are some of the cities by the time they have got rent control. For example, my my friend uh, from Greece, uh, what he what he say is that some of the uh, some of the house owners actually do not want to rent their housing out because by the time they rent out the housing, they have to do a lot of things and there are a lot of legal stuff and then uh, the profitability, most importantly, is not that high. So that it means ultimately the whole, uh, you can put the rent control to the whole city, but then when the quantity of supply of housing drops, that is even worse. You, you, you have money to pay for it. But then nobody have got, <laughs> but then they do not have sufficient housing units for rent. This is even worse. So it means that, that therefore, that if we want to like expand the policy to like rider, uh, to like what you have mentioned about the middle class, 
then we have to do it much more uh, carefully because uh, after all, uh, supply may be used. Uh, even for like, if they found that uh, the subdivider units, uh, they found that well, it does like. Uh, if you just put the rent control within two years, uh, the flat the is zero, probably the majority, they will just uh, stop renting it out, for example. Then it is like, it is sort of uh, harmful to the to this society as a whole. So we have to do it carefully. Right. And then, uh, yeah. Professor Ye, well, what do you think about that? Do you think we could have more rent control? I mean, we used to have rent control, didn't we? Some, some kind of rent control in the 90s. Uh, could we have it again? Do we need it again? Uh, I think it depends because uh, the main rationale for in introducing rent control in subdivided units because of the uh, disequilibrium in the market at this low end. So if we can show that at the other end of the um, uh, uh, private rental market, there's also a market disequilibrium, I think the government should intervene. But I don't think at this moment we have such evidence. Uh, okay, well, yeah, I mean, have you asked middle class people about that? Um, you know, as I say, a lot of people will say they're, they're forced into the market, uh, they have no choice because of property prices, uh, and then they are paying through the nose for, uh, for, uh, for a property for flats in, in Hong Kong. Without the, without the support, uh, without, you know, the, uh, the kind of uh, relief that uh, people at the bottom of the market would get because they know that they're going to end up in public housing or they're, when they become eligible. I think you can also look at the what we call some, some rough affordability figures because according to these uh, uh, statistics by the by the uh, census department, I think that ratio, I mean the, the, the rent to income ratio is still reasonable. So unlike in the subdivided rent, because there's, there's no way they can adjust downward to reduce their rent. So that given given the market is equilibrium, that is the only expensive uh, rental unit they can, they can, they can find in the market. So it takes, it takes up a high proportion of their income. But for middle class, I think there's still some room to adjust. I mean, if they said it's expensive, like in the so-called um, um, ownership market, home ownership market, if you can't afford a bigger unit, you offer a smaller unit. Although, although it's not that desirable, but still it's affordable. So I think the argument we have to carefully examine whether there's a disequilibrium in the um, uh, rental market. Professor Yip, earlier in the programme, you, you said it was important that the new law the government is proposing would uh, help improve the living conditions of, uh, of people who live in subdivided flats. But, but what about um, people um, that we, we just talked about, like people who are forced to live in tiny flats, like nano flats? I mean, they have to pay a lot of money for, for these flats. I mean, don't you think, I mean, would it be better for the government to also have a rent control, introduce rent control for these type of flats and, and also subdivided flats until um, housing becomes more affordable in Hong Kong? Uh, of course, if that's the ideal. That is also the rationale in some decades ago we introduced such legislation of rent control. But it was only justified if there is a very... Uh, to get apparent evidence of this, this, this equilibrium in the rental market. So we, we observed that in the uh, 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 subdivided unit at the lower end. But on the, on the other, other, other part of the uh, uh, rental, uh, rental market, I think we still need to collect more evidence. But at, at least at, at, at this moment, we don't have much of such evidence on that. 
Uh, Esther Wu, what, what do you think about that? Uh, if it's good for the if it's good for the poor people, do you think it could be applied to uh, the middle class as well? Uh, I think that with the subdividing unit will be the best. Uh, but since it's all about the demand and supply, when the market, when the market leaves still here, if the value control extends to middle class, uh, we are afraid the supply will be dropped and make, and because some middle class actually cannot apply for the public housing. And so if the supply is not enough, we are afraid the supply, we are afraid uh, the problem actually cannot be solved because they still have no choice in the market. Okay, one more comment. This is from uh, Jay in an, in an email who says, Wow, big deal, you have a new law. Uh, the problem starts with the government buildings department. If they get rid of all the illegal structures, but they can't because they, it takes time to evict tenants. The landlords don't want to evict the tenants because many of the landlords are old people who don't have any money coming in and live in old buildings. They can't renovate the old buildings because they don't have enough money and the management committee can't find all the owners, so nothing gets done. And if you are a poor tenant, uh, what, do you, uh, what do you want a small cage room in a subdivided flat or a nice spacey industrial unit? Come on, work it out. And why is this government helping the rich by keeping the property prices high? There are plenty of empty properties in Hong Kong, and many of us in between us don't qualify for public housing or subsidised housing because the government hasn't worked it out to help us. So we see the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. That is uh, from Jay. Uh, many thanks for that. Our email is bankchannel.rthk.hk. What's some other issues uh, on the subject which we'll get to perhaps after the news at, uh, at uh, nine o'clock? And a couple of uh, emails just on... Uh, uh, Earlier discussions, uh, Martin, uh, relating to uh, yesterday's discussion about Article 23, says, uh, incorrect statement from Carol Peterson. That was uh, Professor Carol Peterson who was a guest yesterday. Uh, Martin says, most people who committed crimes in 2019 are prosecuted under existing laws because the NSL was introduced on the 30th of June 2020 and is not retroactive. However, people prosecuted under the NSL continue to commit crimes violating the NSL after 30th of June 2020. That's... Uh, from Martin. Thanks very much indeed for that. Once again, our email address is backchat.rthk.hk. And uh, a quick look at the weather. It will be mainly fine apart from isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is now in force. Highs today expected of around 33 degrees. The winds moderate southeasterlies. Right now it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 88%. In temperatures. More research is needed on that, but it could be a very damaging development in the battle against climate change. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Hugh Chiverton and me, Janice Wong. We now continue with rent control for subdivided flats. In the first half hour of the programme, we discussed how effective the measures would be and whether rent control should cover other housing as well. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Our email is backchat at rthk.hk. Our telephone number is 23388266. And our Facebook page is backchat at rthk radio. 3. And uh, 
Right now, I think Hugh has a few emails. Yeah, uh, first of all, yeah, well, this is one from Matthew, uh, first of all, who says, where's Nixie? Uh, he's, uh, Matthew says, uh, when Steve Vines was cut from his regular morning brew slot, I think the reason RTHK gave us justification was balance because there was no corresponding pro-CCP view on the programme or some such nonsense. So given that Steve Vines has left Backchat last week, what are we to make of Nixie Lamb's absence from her regular co-host spot today? Has she also been cut for balance now that Steve Vines has gone? If so, will she return when a suitable pro-democracy voice, maybe like Ronnie Tong, is found to balance her? Hope so. Uh, that comes from uh, that comes from uh, Matthew. Uh, okay. Well, Nix is Nix is not cut. Uh, actually, Nixie, uh, we hope uh, we'll be back. Uh, yeah. We're, but uh, uh, Janice is uh, Janice does it kind of about once a month or so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once a month. Yeah. Yes. And we but hope maybe Nixie, more. Nixie will be back. Nixie will be back. <laughs> yeah. She sounds relieved. Uh, <laughs> Alan, uh, in an email to backchat.rthk.hk, says uh, backchat the rent control laws will have little effect. Landlords will just evict tenants at the end of their lease if they want to ramp up rents or use the threat of that to force them to accept a higher rent. Many of these flats are illegal anyway. People are probably paying in cash without a contract. Breaking one or more law that is loosely, if at all, enforced will not deter them. The government has dismantled what few laws protected tenants. It used to be that tenants had some security of tenure. Then the government changed the laws so landlords could break a tenancy on shorter notice. They announced this with an infuriating PR campaign touting it as providing a more flexible market. Landlords are allowed to evict tenants on short notice if they say they need the flat for a family member. Of course, they often lie about this, simply want a higher paying tenant. The government does nothing to punish landlords who do this. Housing problems cannot be solved by regulation, especially as they will not be enforced. That's from uh, Alan. Backchat.rthk.hk is our email address. And I think we have a caller right now. Jim, is he on the line? All right, he's not there yet. Um, maybe we can uh, go back to our discussion this morning. Um, but perhaps uh, Dr. Uh, Rita Lee, good morning to you again. Yeah, morning. Yeah, what, what about those points uh, made by Alan, that um, the, the legislation in general uh, is very, very friendly to, to landlords uh, in, in Hong Kong. Uh, tenants uh, used to have a little bit more security of tenure and they've lost some of that. In the name of a flexible market, what do you make of that? I don't think that it is like sort of like benefit to the landlord. Uh, actually, by the time that we talk about some of the bad tenants, it is very difficult to evict them out as well. So previously, there are a lot of the circumstances where the tenants that they uh, that they do not pay for the rent, and then if you need to get back the rent, you have to go to the uh, uh, go to the tribunal to like do a lot of things to to get back the rent. So that we have uh, actually faced a lot of the similar problem in the city, especially in the low end housing. Uh, and then uh, there are so much cases. So that I don't think that it is uh, it is sort of benefit uh, the den the landlord. Rather the landlord that they they a lot of them they have got they have got uh, re report on this, and therefore by the by the time that they rent out the units, they have to pay very uh, careful to whether or not that these tenants that they may have have got like bad track record. All right, we now have our caller, Jim. Hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. Uh, rent control in Hong Kong would never work because uh, we're a capitalist society. If, um, if the government attempted to control the rent, the landlords would simply leave the market, reduce supply, and just wait it out. And, um, and the people would then uh, maybe have to go back to cages, sleep on the street, 
or homelessness would would, uh, would result. Um, subsidies in, in fact will go to the landlords, not to the people that need it. Um, so I don't know why we're talking about a, a rent control. Rent control is not for the people that need the rent, uh, housing. Um, I think, uh, as we saw during the pandemic, uh, China was able to build two hospitals in Wuhan in a few days. Uh, why can't Hong Kong, with all its wealth, build temporary accommodations like we did for the Vietnamese in a few months or a few days and allow these people some decency so they can transition into housing that they deserve? In the old days, we had Kai Tag littered with young people trying to find a place for air conditioning or to study because they were living in cramped, noisy, small, uh, uncomfortable accommodation. Uh, we're back to that. Now we put them in caged ex-warehouses, charge them $5,000 a month, and they still don't have any decency. We're saying, oh, we're, we're going to control the rent. But no, you're not. Uh, you're going to give vouchers. <laughs> you're going to do things that accommodate people that don't need the money. So that's all. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Now, uh, Ms. Wu, what, what do you think of uh, what uh, Jim had to say just now? Hello, Ms. Wu? Uh, yes, sorry. So what was your view about this, uh, what, what our caller Jim just had to say? Uh, I think the median, the median of rent of the divided unit is now 5,000. And the, this bill is essentially important to the tenant in the divided unit because most of them with low affordability, their income is low. And they usually have many family members they need to feed, and only one people in their family have job, and so their financial pressure actually is very high. So uh, it's good to have this uh, tenancy controlled. It is essentially important to them. And uh, you said you welcomed uh, this uh, rent control for subdivided units. I mean, we've been discussing about uh, introducing rent control for other housing as well. What's your view on that? I mean, do you think the government should uh, introduce uh, rent control for other kinds of housing, like like uh, nano flats, maybe? Uh, actually, the increasing of rent of other housing is not very obvious. But for the subdivided unit, the increasing rate uh, for every year we can see is very high. And so uh, it will be step by step. Uh, at the very beginning, maybe the bills start with the subdivided unit. And after that, after review, maybe two or three years, the government can consider if this bill can expand to other housing. Oh, of course, this does apply to a lot of people. You know, we're talking about over 200,000 people who would be affected by uh, by this. Uh, what do you make, though, of what Alan was saying in, in his email, uh, that uh, a lot of these flats are illegal, people are probably paying in cash? Uh, can you actually enforce this law? Can you? Do you think that the landlords and the tenants will go for this and will will come up with contracts? Uh, or do you think that they will, they're, they're kind of bending the law anyway, and they will continue to uh, to do that. Yes, we are quite worried about this, because uh, the, land, the landlord, if the landlord do not do so, do not uh, set up a standard tenancy agreement with them, the, the tenant may be afraid of uh, cannot living in the house anymore, and they do not complain the 
Leno and the government will never know. Uh, so we think the government may not may need to do more inspection to check to do the checking, and maybe they have to spot some unit with higher with extremely high usage of water or other utility. Then they can spot out the subsidized unit, and they can do the checking and inspection to the home to those threats and check if the tenant. Have to sign contract with the tenant because the tenant do not have the equal bargaining power with them. Yeah, explain about the the, the uh, utilities, especially water, because I think that's been a concern of yours as well, and that's that's uh, addressed in the in this legislation. Are you happy the with the way that's been dealt with? Uh, yes, the overpriced of utility costs is very serious in subdivided units. Because we find 98% of uh, our residents do not have separated utility meters, and 91% of them have not seen the bill before, and so they never know the actual price of their utility costs. Uh, although the government requests the landlord to disclose the bill with breakdown later, but we also afraid the tenant will not be there to complain if the landlord do not do so. So we think the role of the government is important. They have to do it actively to do the checking and do the inspection, and do not only rely on the tenant to do the complaint, and because they, most of them, do not dare to do so. We guess. Yeah, that's the reality, isn't it? That they haven't got the time or the resources, and they, as you say, that they, they would be, you know, fearful that they'd lose their their homes, lose their uh, what accommodation uh, they have, uh, and then they might not, you know, they might not have the legal knowledge, uh, as I say, or simply the time or the resources to to follow up. So, um, what you think the the the, the enforcement of this that the there should be inspectors or so on, or even the police should be involved in in policing this. Uh, we think the government can set up a team under RVD because the administrate the administrate of the bill will be given to RVD. So more resources have to give to them, and they may have to set up a team to do the education and also to do the inspection. And if they find an illegal case, they have to pass it to police or. To do the uh, to set up a platform for the tenant and the landlord to to settle the conflict. Uh, okay, uh, here's an email from uh, Paul, and uh, perhaps uh, Dr. Lee, as an economist, you might want to address this. Uh, Paul says, uh, "Backchat rental control, sorry, rent price controls are a sign of inflation, meaning uh, money is becoming worthless. It should therefore be the greatest insult to us, the general public, that the government is currently giving away money to us. Meanwhile, it's creating laws to cripple private owners who are affected by all this inflated cash." But as per usual, the perception given to us regarding the situation is upside down. The landlords are portrayed as the bad guys, and the government are portrayed as heroes. Have we really become this stupid? That comes from Paul in in Taipei. Doctor Lee. Well, um, I think uh, rent control issues that they 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 uh, uh, well, government as a hero uh, from the perspective of like subdivided units, tenants, uh, uh, probably that is yes at the moment because it, it rises a lot. Uh, but then, of course, we, we, we have to, like, 
uh, we have to consider, um, uh, like for example, in in case of like Cambridge, for example, in Cambridge, uh, they have also got a, a a rent control by then, and therefore for the uncontrolled sector especially, and then uh, the rents drop substantially by then. So that uh, from this perspective, it can be saying that it, it, it is a kind of a hero that they try to deal with, and then uh, if that is uh, what the ultimate outcome is that the rents drops a lot. But what uh, what our discussion also mentioned about like the difficulty in enforcing the contract because it's subdivided unit. Many of them they have got like uh, the uh, un, uh, the UBW. There's a unauthorized building works. And therefore, a lot of the landlords, they may not want to set up a decent contract with the subdivider unit. Wow. And this is a good time. It is actually a great time for us to, like, checking out all these uh, 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 UBW and then uh, try to uh, try to see whether or not that there are a lot of these uh, cases. Because uh, uh, previously, we have got a case of Martel White Road, where the building collapsed because of the uh, uh, partially because of the subdivided units that they have overloaded the whole building structures. And then um, uh, so that uh, probably that maybe, uh, even though that uh, this kind of rent control is, does not mean that it tries to legalize the subdivided unit, but uh, ultimately it may uh, pave the way to some of the, uh, some of the subdivided unit where they become legalized to a certain extent. And then, uh, and, and then uh, lower the rents for like those uh, uh, lower end housing. Well, if you're going to do that, why not go all the way and have a have a have a rental rate set by the administration, set by the government? Um, who you know, just look at the square footage and the location and, and things like that, and say this is a fair rent, that is not a fair rent, and do it like that. Uh, sorry, pardon. Your question is why not? Why not go all the way then and just have the and and have a team that that determines a fair rate that um, <laughs> that says you know whether this is a justified uh, rate to to charge. Well, because the housing itself, it is very hard to determine a fair rate. Each of the housing that they have got didn't build, even though there is a one unit lower or one unit upper, and then they may have got different utilities, they may have got different facilities, they may have got... Uh, well, no, we do it all the time, though. We, you have, we have rating, we, we have uh, rates, uh, and we have well, valuations from, uh, well, yes, from banks yes, when yes. it comes to sales. Why can't we do the same when it comes to rents? Well, by the time that I, I, I did my job in uh, rating and valuation departments, I actually have got a problem that says should, should I add like five percent more by the time this shop is like larger and then should I deduct like five percent more because of this shop is like uh, far further away from the door from the entrance and then there are a lot of the a lot of things that we have to consider by the time that we, we take the so called the fair valuation because each of us may have got even view towards like for example there is a mountain view, should I add like five percent? I may consider mountain view is it's nothing to me. Or people just say that, well, if the, uh, if the subdivider units, uh, the inside decoration look like a palace, then I will pay a higher, higher rent, right? But then uh, another person just say that, well, this palace, well, it means nothing but, to me. But, I don't like Okay, it might not be perfect, but we do it. We do it all the time. We, uh, the government has official... We do it all the time, yes. But different value, uh, even though that we all of us study valuation, for example, uh, we just say that it is an, it is an art. You say you pay five percent more for the CV. I pay twenty percent more for the CV. So it means that there is uh, there is very hard for us to like uh, putting everything into the uh, into uh, into a rate for which that uh, we consider that this is a, a fair a fair deduction or a fair addition on the rent.
So, uh, and then we have got different perspectives on the future. Like, for example, do you think the rent will rise by 5% in the, in, in the three months later? Or do you think that the, the, the rent will drop by uh, 5% three months later? You and I may have got different views. So ultimately, this actually affects the rent that we will pay. And therefore, uh, in, even though they're in China, they have got a team, for example, my friend is working in the Shenzhen government, and then they have got a team that they try to do the GIS for all the units, for the, all the units, and then they try to do the fair valuation. But the question is that, are we, uh, do we allow all of the waiting evaluation department team members to go to the house and then uh, to take the picture? That is also uh, something for which uh, is, is, it may not be uh, what we want to do as well. And then, uh, 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 and then, uh, do something as like, uh, using AI to do the validation, for example. Then, uh, but then we are not AI. So it means that we, we have got different perspective, even on like view, four number, for example, four number. You may think that, well, four, 14, uh, is bad, or for foreigners, it's like 13 is bad. So that we, we have got different, many different, uh, criteria in terms of validation. And therefore, for fair uh, valuation, uh, it is actually, uh, for most of us, by the time that we, valuation, we do valuation, we just say that it is an art. You think that the painting is very expensive. I think that the painting is very poor. Remember that in times that when Van Gogh was uh, still alive, his drawings, his painting were like worthless. But by the time he passed away, that the painting is like, well, now, nowadays, all of us know that it is very expensive. Uh, I, I would just, I would just say that. I mean, but we do do it all the time, and the government does it all the time. If you sell a house and the government thinks you do, you didn't get enough money for it, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then, it looks suspicious. Then they will they will change. If you try and sell a car and the and the uh, the amount that's charged doesn't look right, then they will they will spot that and they will uh, you know they, they, they will yeah. they will say what's going on. But then the waiting and valuation department, they will say, for instance, they will just set a boundary, like zero to one mil, so that this group of the, uh, this group of the shops, for example, they will pay this type of rent. And then one mil to another, they will pay another, 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 uh, another expenses. But then no matter what, you can see there is a range there. And then even if we find a bank to do the valuation for us, you, if you just put your housing unit and then uh, just uh, tell, uh, just tell the bank banker, can you help me to do the valuation? And then if you go to different banks, they will also give you different answers. Even though that I will just say that there's a range, you will not just be so unreasonable that a bet for Bentley is like five million and another is ten million. But then uh, a lot of them they will be like five million, five point one million, five point three million, and then uh, six million for example. So then we have got a range like five to six million. But this actually means a lot to the renter. All right. Actually, if you put them all as a single kids in area. All right, we'll have to leave it there for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's Dr. Richard Lee, Associate Director of the Department of Economics and Finance at Xuyan University, and Esther Wu, a community organizer from the Society for Community Organization. Earlier in the program, we also had Yip Ngai Ming, a professor of housing and urban studies at the City University. It's now 23 minutes past nine, and we turn to our final topic this morning, and that is cruises to nowhere. Now, one of two operators of this plan has postponed its launch date by three months to October. 
Royal Caribbean cruises Spectrum of the Seas, which is Asia's largest and newest vessel, was supposed to depart at the end of July. But because it has to allow crew members to meet vaccination and quarantine requirements set by the Hong Kong government, it's had to adjust its plans. To comment on the delay, we're now joined in the studio by Jeff Bent, the Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Good morning, Mr. Bent. Good morning. Thanks Thank, for having me. Thanks for joining us this morning. So, so I guess you must be disappointed with this uh, latest development. I think we're, we're all a bit disappointed, but not particularly surprised. You know, um, COVID continues to pose logistical challenges to um, people involved in, in this type of business, particularly for a global cruise line that takes staff from literally all over the world to handle a really wide variety of operations on the ship. You know, of course, aside from the um, um, driving the ship and the and the engineering, you know, there's there's all of the um, different regional F and B options on board, the Broadway shows, you know, manning and operating the amusement park rides, and so on and so forth. Um, it's uh, it's really quite challenging, and um, the way that. Uh, various COVID variants have have popped up in different countries, leading to more flight bans from more different places. Has just uh, made it a, a very difficult logistical challenge. It's being knocked back to October, so that's quite a long time, isn't it? That's another few months. It is. It is for uh, for this for this one line. It's it's been knocked back two months. Um, the other line, however, uh, is all set to go and we'll start operating on July 30th. But, uh, why, what happened? Why, why was it not back for, for two months? They had time to plan all this, didn't they? Um, they did, but I think, you know, the, uh, the virus had an idea of its own and um, outbreaks in, in other countries where they are sourcing, you know, this wide variety of staff and performers um, um, has, has led to uh, travel bans. Um, that made it not possible. Where I'd say the uh, the other line has has sourced their staff primarily from um, in the region, um, and so they didn't encounter as many challenges. And is the delay also to do with a shortage of uh, hotel rooms for quarantine in Hong Kong? I think that was that was um, potentially an issue for a while, because I think the original plan was that um, the staff would come in and serve out their quarantine um, period on board the ship. And then it was decided that they should stay on land in the quarantine hotels instead. And that and that would have caused a, a, a huge rush um, and, a, and a bottleneck to the supply chain. But I think now that's no longer the concern. Now it's really the travel bans. And do you know what sort of arrangements will be put in place for, for people who've already got tickets? Yes, um, the line announced uh, several different options. Um, so people can um, either um, reschedule and get some extra onboard spending um, credits, or they can get a full refund and also get some credits towards booking future cruises. I mean, you can understand why they did it, but then it also sort of uh, suggests that the same thing might happen to, again, 
uh, and might happen to people who want to go on the, on these cruises that um, it seems so unpredictable. Uh, is now the right time to be booking holidays, expensive holidays? Um, well, I, I guess the good news is that um, now you can, when you when you book, you can still get all your money back, provided that you cancel within forty eight hours in advance. So I think I think people can. Um, um, rest assured that um, you know that even if something else goes wrong, and and I think they planned in more time um, this time around, uh, but that even if something goes wrong, yes, they can always get all their all their money back. Um, I imagine a lot of people um, like me will be waiting to see what the school holidays are for the next school year, and then and then will make their plans accordingly. And, and whether the children will be working from home or what, what, what the arrangements will be, it's all up in the air so much. It, yeah, yeah, it, it really is. But, um, you know, I, I think we're getting a, a better level of understanding and predictability around COVID. And um, also, um, you know, we're really glad to see that, you know, after three billion vaccination shots have been delivered worldwide, people in Hong Kong are also finally kind of getting the idea that maybe this is a good idea and <laughs> we should go out and get inoculated. It's a, it's a do, good... Do you uh, have to be inoculated uh, to go on these, on these cruises? Um, yes, if you are an adult. Um, and for people who are medically unfit or for um, children who are not of an age to get inoculated, um, they, just, they just need a test 48 hours in advance. You know, this course started off, as we discussed last time, uh, this started off the whole thing with, you know, quite spectacular cases of disease spreading on, on board uh, cruise ships. Uh, but you said that since then, you know, the industry has recovered in other places around the world and there have been many trips without, without that kind of infection. What's the situation now? Are there many cruises going on around the world? There are. It's, um, it's been um, opening up at a really breathtaking um, rate. So now, um, you know, really throughout uh, Europe, the Med and Northern Europe and um, in, in North America and the Caribbean, um, many, many, many cruise ships are, are open and sailing. And, um, and so far, it's all going well. Good. Okay, uh, one quick uh, email uh, just on our earlier discussion. Uh, Jay says, start attacking the property at the top end of the scale when property comes down in price, when there is an abundance of property that can't sell, then rent out, then send around the government departments and get rid of all those subdivided flats. That's Jay on our earlier discussion. All right, uh, Mr. Bench, we're out of time. Thanks again f uh, for joining us this morning. That's Jeff Bench, the Managing Director of Worldwide Cruise Terminals. Also, many thanks again to our guests earlier on rent control for a subdivided flats. And, uh, of course, many thanks to all of you who commented and called in with your views. We now leave you with the weather. Uh, it'll be mainly fine apart from isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is now in force. Highs today expected of around 33 degrees. The winds moderate southeasterlies. Forecasters say it will be mainly fine and very hot in the next couple of days. At the moment, it's 29 degrees, relative humidity 84%. Ketamine will damage your brain, causing addiction, hallucination, anxiety, depression and panic. It will also harm your bladder, leading to bladder contracture and incontinence that will make you go to the toilet often. If you are troubled by drug abuse problems, don't hesitate to call 186186 or send a message via WhatsApp or WeChat to 9818686 for help. Don't be KO'd by ketamine.
It's 9.31, the news with Samantha Butler. A group of British lawmakers is urging the UK government to take tougher action against China over its treatment of minorities in Xinjiang, including a partial Winter Olympics boycott and cotton trade ban. Among its recommendations, the cross-party Foreign Affairs Committee said in a report that Britain should also fast-track the asylum process for those fleeing persecution in the region. Health authorities say no new coronavirus cases were found after 1,200 residents at a building in Taikok Choi were t- tested overnight. Chungmei building was locked down at 7pm after Australia said a former resident of the building who travelled to Australia last month was confirmed with the Delta strain of the coronavirus. And a government minister says the, new, says the alleged assassins of Haiti's President Jovenel Moïse are in custody less than 24 hours after the leader of the impoverished Caribbean nation was killed in a gun attack at his home. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning once again and welcome to Thursday. It's the morning brew. Through until one. Vet call today. Dr. Dave making his weekly house call to talk fur after 11 and answer any of your questions. We had an email a few days back about cleaning post-op wounds and changing bandages and stuff. Well, it sounds pretty simple, but if you've been there, the first time your pet squeaks or squawks, it's very easy to lose our nerve. Also on the back of a very puzzling story from Cambodia, we're going to talk about defanging wild animals. After 12, some Morning Brew live music for you. From top blues man Kevin Guffey, who's coming to visit with his axe. We're going to play a couple of his so far unreleased recorded tracks on air as well. And highly likely, we'll do some Facebook Live. She Oh, 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 